All right, well, good morning. Hey, we're going to talk this morning about a case for maturity. Um, hey, we've we got to argue that maturity is a good thing. And uh, I, whatever that comment was, I missed it, but I feel left out because it, I, I feel like I just missed something good. But um, a case for maturity, we, want, we definitely want uh, to be mature, and we want to make an argument for the fact that maturity is a good thing. And so we're going to be looking through this passage, and I think that that's actually one of Paul's key arguments throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, is that we should be spiritually mature. And I will say that when you think about all the things going on in the Corinthian church, it was not mature. And uh, can we all agree that mature, immaturity is a bad thing? <laughs> you ever, you ever uh, in your marriage and in the way that you treat each other as spouses, have you ever thought, wow, that was so immature? You know, you're having this conflict and this fighting, and you can look at each other and go, man, we're acting like three-year-olds, you know, or in your house, you know, with your kids. Sometimes things happen, and you're just like, hey, can we just grow up here? And uh, so that's what Paul's doing uh, with the Corinthian church, actually, through the whole thing, is he is in a loving, gracious, gentle way saying to them, grow up. And uh, so uh, we're going to be given that message this morning, and we all need that, right? Every one of us. Um, I have often thought um, about situations in my life. I am too old. I have been a Christian for far too long to still be having these kinds of issues in my life. And then it just like, makes me want to go back and say, okay, Rod, come on, grow up, get better at things. So uh, my question for you is uh, how would you define maturity how would you define maturity if you think about that like what are the qualities that would go along with maturity how, how do you know when somebody or something is mature and um, so that's a good thing to think about what kind of behaviors go along with maturity and as we read the section this morning first corinthians 14 20 through 40 if we understand what was happening in the corinthian church we would say that is not an expression of maturity. And so Paul's going to challenge them with that. So I would just say this, you know, maturity, one of the things that I think about is I think about Psalm 1, where um, the psalmist is just talking about people who, um, instead of walking in the counsel of the wicked, they, they just meditate on God's word day and night, and how they will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams in, of water that does not wither, and in whatever um, they do, they prosper. And you just, you just see this mature um, tree with deep roots next to water, and no matter what kind of storms hit that tree, it's fine because it's full-grown, it is strong, it is a mature tree. And you could see like little tiny trees that if it gets too hot, they die or things knock them over. And so I just, that's one of the things I think about, you know, maturity is to be full grown, fully developed. Um, you know, actually a biblical concept of maturity, if you think about yourself and you want to be mature, one of the things that Jesus says in Luke 640, he says, when a person is fully trained, they will be like their teacher. And Jesus is our teacher. So then you go to Ephesians 4, chapter 11, or chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, in this whole thing of gifts and in the body of Christ. And it says that when the whole body is building itself up in truth and love, we are no longer tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. We don't have all kinds of chaos. 
We don't believe all kinds of crazy things that harm our life. But instead, it says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, it says that we grow up to the full measure of the stature of Christ. And so maturity, if we could just paint this whole thing this morning, maturity is actually when you and I actually are like Christ. And that's one of the reasons that we need to be reading the Bible from Genesis all the way to the end. But one of the reasons we read it is because when we read what God is like, and when we read what Jesus is like, then we know what we're supposed to be like. And we can set that as our goal. So um, in this passage, Paul is definitely appealing to the Corinthians. And he's identified in 1 Corinthians, like you could read through the book, he's identified tons of ways they can know they're not mature. And, and you, you know, one of the things that we do for ourselves when we want to identify our issues is we don't just think to ourselves, am I mature, am I not mature? We think about what are the things that we do, what are the things that we say, because that's actually what communicates to us. What are the things we think? That communicates to us whether or not we're mature. And so uh, the marks of immaturity are ignorance, disobedience, pride, that's when you think you know more than you do. Um, selfishness, which is what is marking the Corinthians' expression of spiritual gifts, is selfishness rather than love for others. So when we don't love people, that's a, that is immaturity. And, um, you know, what I would say as we approach this passage, there's a lots of controversial things in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. I mean, there are some controversial things in the Bible, but this is certainly one of those places that a lot of people have different views and it creates lots of uh, challenge and difficulty. <laughs> We're going to hit a side. Well, I'm going to read a verse to you today that for some of you, it's just going to strike you wrong. And, uh, but what, we'll do that when we read it and then we'll explain, we'll explain it. But, um, you know, when you think about that, the Corinthians, as they were disagreeing, um, even when we disagree, even if I'm wrong or even if you're wrong, um, love actually brings unity. And so I think in, in some senses, as we face challenges, dis, dis, difficulties, disagreements, we can say, are we like the Corinthians who get mad at each other and who don't like each other and who are offended by each other? Or are we what Paul's actually telling them? You guys have all these disagreements, but the things that's supposed to work all of this out is that you're supposed to love each other. So are we a church family that just says, no, we, we love each other? And um, when we have disagreements or whatever, we work all that stuff through because we love each other, which is what's supposed to happen in the church, and it's supposed to happen in marriages, and it's supposed to happen in families. You know, love is supposed to actually dominate all of those things. And so um, we're going to jump in here, and we're going to see five reasons, making a case for maturity. How about five reasons that we should be mature? One is that mature thinking, which, by the way, is healthy doctrine, but mature thinking leads to godly living. We, we want to be mature because when we're mature, we will live righteously. And we want to be mature because actually mature thinking is what reaches the lost. Um, we will seek people come to Christ. We will look at the unbelieving world in the right way when we're mature. Like, it is really important that we that we are reaching the lost. One of the reasons God's put us here. Mature thinking leads to building other people up instead of tearing people down. So as a church, we want to be mature because we're building up believers. And mature thinking results in order rather than chaos. 
Does anybody like chaos? I mean, chaos sometimes is fun. It, it, it could depend on how you view it or if you're sadistic inside. But, um, but, you know, we like order. Order works, and God is actually a God of order. And so mature thinking leads to order rather than chaos. And, you know, mature thinking honors God's authority. And that's one of the things that we need to think about in our life is that God is in authority. And that, that actually... Um, significantly impacts how we approach scripture because if God is our authority then that means that we read and study the Bible and that we submit to it we don't we we don't go to the Bible as an authority we go to the Bible as our authority because those are the very words of God so that's what we're going to be doing I'm going to skim over first Corinthians 12 through 14 we'll read our passage this morning and then we'll dig in. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, you're immature if you're in church and you say things like Jesus is accursed. You're probably not a believer. But, um, so you're certainly not mature. How about 1 Corinthians 12, 7? This controversy and all this difficulty in the Corinthian church was over their use of spiritual gifts, and they were tearing each other down with them. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each the manifestation of the Spirit is for the common good. Your gifts are to build up other people. Verse 11, and these are all empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Just reminds us, God's in charge. He does what He wants. He put us in the church because He wanted there, us here. He gives people gifts that He wants them to have. Uh, verse 24 of chapter 12, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division. God's purpose is no division, and they're all fighting. Uh, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. And then chapter 13, love, right? The priority of it. If you don't have love, nothing you do matters. And that love, Paul describes what love is. And then he says that gifts are going to pass away. So we can all fight about whether or not gifts have passed away. But gifts, some gifts are going to pass away. But the thing that's never going away is love. And then in verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 12, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, then we will, be, we will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love and so paul is just telling them that you know sometimes we don't know all that we think we're going to know and so we, uh, the comment i made about that is that when it comes to theology we're all just kids but what i want us to know about that is that god intends for us to be growing up we're not supposed to stay infants and we need to recognize no matter how much we think we know we don't know anything we don't know everything, but we are supposed to know the things that God tells us. And uh, one of the things that just I, stands out to me is how every time the, the Pharisees had wrong doctrine, Jesus always blamed them. He said, 
You don't know the right thing because you didn't read the Word of God. You don't know the right thing because you didn't believe the Word of God. Jesus never said to the Pharisees, hey, you know, there's all kinds of different beliefs. Uh, there's pick, take, take the acceptable views and then pick the one you like. That is not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you're wrong because you don't read. And one of the things as we go through this passage on the gift of tongues and so, such a controversial thing, we can get rid of um, 90% of the controversy if we just read what it says. And there are so many things going on and so many things that people are doing and so many things that people believe because they don't read what the Bible says. And so we recognize we could be wrong, but it also doesn't mean we know nothing. And so uh, last week, we did the first 19 chapter, verses of chapter 14, which the love and truth are our priorities. Building up yourself is a misuse of gifts. When you get up in the morning, say, I'm going to use my gift to build myself up. That is a misuse of gifts. That's not what God ever intends for you to get up and say, I'm going to build up others. Now, you may be blessed in that, but your purpose is to build up others, and that is the purpose of spiritual gifts. And um, another one is that tongues is a real language. It is a real language. I mean, Paul takes this whole section and just says tongues is a real language. And uh, he says that incredibly clearly. Um, he also says that you can't benefit other people if they don't understand things. So unintelligible speech is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 6 of chapter 14, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? It's a gift. That's a purpose of gift of tongues. Unless I bring some revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching. So that's actually the gift of tongues was a channel of revelation, knowledge, prophecy, and teaching. And it was a way that God delivered those things to people who didn't speak that language. Tongues, like unintelligible speech, is not a thing in and of itself. Um, tongues is a language meant to communicate truth. And that's very clear in chapter 14 from last week. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, he says you guys all want the Spirit, <laughs> do what? If you want the Spirit, what's, it, what's the purpose of the manifestations of the Spirit? He says in verse 12, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. And, uh, okay, I'll stop on all the stuff that we've been teaching on last time. <laughs> and let's get to this morning. Uh, verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be, in, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues, by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers." If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's called to account by all, 
The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. (laughs) Okay, is it confusing? (laughs) No, I don't think so. Verse 27, "If, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only one or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. If there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh in on what is said. If a revelation is is made to another sitting here, let the first be silent. For For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. To prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Remember I said someone was going to strike you wrong. We're going to hit that section right here. Um, let the women keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, <laughs> but, if I should, but, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> for it is a shame for a woman to speak in church. <laughs> or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the, one, the only ones it has reached? <clears throat> if anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are the command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophe- uh, prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. I'm going to go quick so we don't have to skip the section on women and come back to that next week. We're going to try to address that all this week. So let's jump in here. And I think that this, this, first, this first verse, um, that mat- mature thinking uh, leads to godly living. We need to be mature. And one of the things, like, as I read that, I hope you guys all understood. Like, you know what was going on in the Corinthian church? Um, everybody was yelling over each other. Everybody was talking at the same time. Somebody would get up and talk, and somebody would yell over them. Everybody was just, like, it was just chaos as everybody tried to put themselves forward. And Paul has to write this letter and say, guys, knock it off. It's kind of like a little Sunday school class when all the kids are running around and yelling. Or, or if, if everybody's, like, yelling and shouting and you just want to say hey guys can you all be quiet and let one person talk at a time like can you believe that paul's having to write this to this church of adults um that's that's what he's addressing here and um so um we are going to talk about the gift of tongues now one of the things i thought about is as we think about this there are principles of application i tried to make those my outline points like the principles of application from this. Because that hasn't happened since I got here, that when somebody was preaching the word or somebody was teaching that everybody starts yelling them down and yelling over them. That has not happened. We, we have not, since I've been here, had like 20 people all speaking in tongues at the same time with no interpreter. And so I could see a person going, why do we keep talking about this? This isn't one of those things that we're struggling with. 
but there's actually uh, fundamental principles that we're supposed to help them with their issues that we need to know. And this is the other thing, is that while those things are not happening in this church, all you have to do is go to YouTube, <laughs> go to TikTok. There are all kinds of videos of churches to this day where these things happen. And I'll just tell you, when I was a kid growing up, I went to churches where everybody did these things. Everybody was speaking at this, in tongues at the same time. People were prophesying at the same time. There were no interpreters. So these things happen uh, in churches. These things happen in churches in our town. This stuff is still happening. It doesn't happen, it's not happening here, but this stuff's happening all over the place. And so we need to know how to think rightly about it too. Yes, the principles, but we also need to understand the things that Paul is teaching here. So let's just consider the whole issue of maturity. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Here's the first thing you need to understand is that maturity is actually something that starts in your mind. You have to think rightly about things or you will not behave rightly. Right doctrine leads to right living. Whether or not you believe the truth matters. There's people who do things and who are immature because they don't actually know what's true. And so we need to be, uh, maturity flows out of our mind. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. And so one of the things that, that, that is very important for us as believers, we need to be experts at doing what's good. Uh, Paul says this in Romans 16, 19, and 20. He says, be excellent at what is good. Be innocent of evil. And so th that's something that God intends is that we are diligent to make ourselves excellent at righteousness, excellent at what is good. And so I would just ask you, what are the things you practice in your life? Um, do you practice putting the needs of others first? You know, don't be... Um, uh, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but look out for the interests of others. Do you practice caring for other people? So, um, on this whole issue of immaturity, so in my family growing up, um, people just talked over each other. People would talk for hours. Uh, like, I remember when I was a kid growing up, um, one time I got on the phone with my dad and I was busy. I needed to get going to work and, and he was talking to me and I should have been more mature than I was, but he just kept talking and talking and talking and talking. And I'm like, man, I got to go. So I just set the phone down and I got in the shower and I got dressed and I got ready for work. And then I went over and picked up the phone and my dad was still talking. He didn't, he didn't notice that I, I wasn't on the phone. And our family was that way. And so in our family, if you wanted to talk, you had to be man enough and strong enough to dump, insert yourself in a conversation. <laughs> and guess what I discovered in my life as I was older? I constantly interrupted people. I, I won't have a show of hands as to whether or not I've interrupted you, um, but I just want you to know that I'm still working on those things that, I've been pr that I practiced my whole life. But you want to know what was like revolutionary for me? There was this lady at my other church, and we'd all be having a conversation, and if ever anybody started talking while she was talking, she just stopped, and she just listened. And I was sitting around, Michelle and I had gone to the movies with her, and I noticed how often she just stopped talking and looked at me. And, um, <laughs> and I just thought, 
wow, <laughs> you know, it's like I was used to her. I know I started talking, but you could still finish your sentence, you know. And, um, and actually, that was like a key turning point for me where I just, I started doing that. Like I tried to discipline myself to stop talking if somebody else starts talking in a conversation. And also, I've been trying to practice not interrupting. And so like part of maturity is thinking about these things and how we think and to be good at things that God wants us to be good at, to be good at forgiveness, to be good at returning good for evil, to be practicing that. We're supposed to be innocent of evil. We're supposed to be infants in evil. We're not supposed to be very experienced at doing wrong things. Um, is anybody here really good at revenge? Like you can think through how to get people back or do you know anybody that's really good at gossip? Or do you know anybody that's really good at putting themselves first? Like there's a lot of people who are actually experts at evil. And, it, and if you look at the Corinthian church, they were experts at evil things. And um, that is not what God intends. Instead, in our thinking, we should be mature. And um, here's the first element of maturity. And this is the big point in this passage is that uh, one of the biggest ways that people go wrong is that they disregard God. That is not an expression of maturity. So it's interesting. He's going to point out tongues, but he's going to point to Israel ignoring God as his example of be mature because they just blew God off and they did their own thing. And um, have you or do you know anybody who when it comes to things that the Bible says, they read it and just go, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. I mean, yeah, I mean, it says we're supposed to be that way, but that's maybe for some super Christian or somebody else, but not for me. Um, or are you a person and are you around people who, man, whatever the Bible says, they just do it wholeheartedly. That is maturity. And so in this gift of tongues, they're actually taking a sign of God's judgment for people who didn't listen to him. And then they are going to practice it as they ignore what God has told them. Like the lesson here is don't blow off what God says. That is the foundation of maturity. Hebrews 5.14 says solid food is for the mature, who, uh, those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good for evil. And, you know, verse 21, this is Paul's illustration in the law, as it is written, by, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me. So Paul in Romans chapter um, uh, 9, 10, and 11 talks about Israel. And he says, you know, Israel was, they're so prideful, and they thought that they were going to obtain favor with God by um, believing that their salvation and their righteousness would bring them good works. They thought that they could earn their way to heaven. They thought they could earn their way in, that they were good. And uh, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul says they have been set aside because they refuse to obey God. So this incredible gift that Israel was given of being God's chosen people, and because they ignored him, he set them aside and he chose Gentiles. And Paul talks about that, how he wants to make the Jews jealous by magnifying his ministry to the Gentiles. And this gift of tongues, um, if everybody was a Jew, there would be no gift of tongues. Gift of tongues is because God said, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. I am now going to use the church to do what I had called you to do. And then he ends that, uh, he wraps that up in that argument by saying, 
to the church. Do not be arrogant toward the natural branches. The natural branches is Israel. He says, you have been grafted in. So you get added to Israel. And so God's working through the church now, but he says, don't be arrogant toward the natural branches. If God broke off the natural branches, he'll break off the grafted in branches. This is supposed to be a lesson for us. You don't ignore God. You don't blow God off. If God broke off the natural branches, he'll broke, break off the grafted in branches. And then he says um, that a partial hardening of Israel has come until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and then all Israel will be saved. The book of Revelation is about the salvation of the nation of Israel, which is happening in the future. So I'm not going to get into all that, but I just want to say this. Paul's saying to them, don't blow off the things that God says to you. This lesson for you and me, we should not blow off what God is telling us. All right, let's look at the next thing. Um, number two, um, mature thinking leads to reaching the lost. This is not a confusing concept. Paul's talking about the church, and he's just saying, God's put you here to reach the lost, and the way that you're behaving, unbelievers think you're crazy. Um, have you ever known any unbelievers who have walked into a charismatic church where all kinds of crazy things are going on? Have you ever walked into a church where all kinds of crazy things are going on and you just say to yourself, man, this is weird. I'm getting out of here. Uh, people being slain in the Spirit. People barking in the Spirit. People laughing in the Spirit. You walk in and you just go, man, this is a crazy group of people. And that's what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Unbelievers come in and they think you're out of your mind. And so he says this, Therefore, if the whole church, verse 23, comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophecy prophesy and an unbeliever um, or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Hey, that kind of sounds like Hebrews 4.12, right? It just says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom, uh, of him to whom we will give an account. What Paul's saying is that when you prophesy... Or, and this is one of the things that, that from last week, if you speak in tongues and it is translated and there is a prophecy, there is knowledge, there is teaching. When, when God's word is proclaimed, unbelievers come in and their lives are changed because God's word's powerful. And so here this Corinthian church has been given a gift to help people get truth. And instead, they're going on and on with unintelligible speech. And he's like, you guys are, you're behaving in a way that's crazy and you're missing out on God's purpose. And that is that people would hear God's word and be saved. Now, you want to know how crazy some people are? Um, there are some people who, as they think about, hey, everything that we need to do needs to be done to reach the lost. And so you want to know what they do? They take 
the offense out of the gospel. When they're sharing the gospel with people, they're like, hey, we just want to love people. We don't want to say anything to make them uncomfortable. So, you know, the Bible talks about hell, but let's not, let's not say that. People won't like that. Uh, role of men and women, which maybe we'll get to today. Role of men and women. If we say what the Bible says about that, that's going to offend people, so don't talk about that. Gender issues in our culture. You cannot share the gospel with people and say what God says about gender. They won't like it. Uh, so let's take that out. Um, what, there's all kinds of things. Uh, what about homosexuality? What the Bible says about God's intention for a sexual relationship to be in marriage between a man and a woman. You can't say that. People won't like that. And so what people do is instead of realizing that salvation comes from God's Word, they say, hey, we need to get people saved, so let's edit the message so it's not offensive. You know, Paul is just saying, be mindful of unbelievers. We're supposed to be mindful of unbelievers. So don't say things um, that are unintelligible and weird. Say God's truth. Prophesy. And, and what does it say will happen? They'll be convicted. That doesn't sound comfortable. They'll be called to account. That doesn't sound comfortable. The secrets of their heart will be disclosed, falling on their face. They're going to worship God. We are supposed to be calling people to God's truth. And we have this thing where we don't actually share the gospel and we don't say what God says because we're afraid to offend someone. We're just polite. And uh, we go to restaurants and we leave big tips and we think we were evangelistic. We go to work and we say the word church in our conversations with people and we think that we were evangelistic. So um, last week, I was walking down the street next to this homeless lady. How, do, how did I know she was homeless? Well, her arms were like completely dirty. Her clothes were like dirty, like she'd been sleeping on a bench. And I mean, just like very clearly... Um, a homeless lady and so she started a conversation with me and I just started talking to her and I'm thinking okay how do I share the gospel with this lady what, what can I do God put me here and it's not for no reason and I totally blew it by the way um, but I'll, I'll, I'll still tell you the rest of the story so so I'm thinking I'm like okay so how do I start a conversation with her and she goes hey you know where a bus stop is and I said no I really don't I'm not from this area but then I just grabbed my phone and I searched for bus stop <laughs> on Google and I'm like hey actually 100 yards in front of us there's a bus stop so um, I told her where it was and then she started asking me about Slurpees she's like you know have you ever seen Slurpees and stuff like that and I'm like yeah they used to sell them at 7-Eleven and then I but I was actually on my way to a Starbucks and so I just said hey um, I'm going to Starbucks. Um, do you want to go there with me? I'll buy you whatever you want there. And she's like, oh, okay, that would be nice. So now we're going to have a little walk together. And so I said, so do you live around here? Are you in a homeless shelter or something like that? And she goes, I'm not homeless. I live in a house. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, great. I'm trying to start a conversation. I've just insulted this woman. <laughs> and so I said, I'm really sorry if that came across as unkind. I didn't intend it that way. And and so we just walked, and I'm thinking, man, how do I, um, how, what do I say now that I feel awkward? <laughs> and so I just said, hey, you know what? God has really blessed me. And she goes, really? That's nice. And I'm thinking, she's probably thinking, oh, I'm glad you're blessed because I'm not. 
And, uh, but I just said, you know what, God sent me here because he wanted you to be able to have something to drink. So he actually sent me here to give you something. And so this thing that I'm going to buy you is from the Lord. And, um, and I just said, um, by the way, is there, is there any way that I could be praying for you? And she just goes, no, nope, you don't need to pray for me. I don't need prayer. So then we go up to the counter, and I just bought her the biggest drink that they had. And she's like, can I have this food over here? I'm yet yeah, you can get whatever you want. And I just bought her every, anything she wanted. And then I said goodbye to her. And I was just praying for her. By the way, what I did was not sharing the gospel. That is not sharing the gospel. That is not what God intends in our relationships with people. It's not that that's a bad thing, but I actually left that relationship thinking, man, you really blew it. And I was thinking to myself, as long as you're, you've been a Christian, you should be better at this by now. And, um, and I just started praying that somebody else would share the gospel with her. That's my comfort that even if I blow something, God can bring somebody else into her life. You know what I should have just said? I should have just, just said something like, hey, it looks like uh, things are probably challenging in your life, and I just want you to know that God loves you and cares about you, and this life matters. And the most important thing is that you have a right relationship with God. And um, that matters not just for this life, but for eternity. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross to forgive you for your sins. Um, because you're a sinner, you've done things wrong, that separates people from God, and if you will put your faith in Christ, ultimately he'll save you for eternity, but God also intends to bless you in this life, and if you become a Christian and you, you connect yourself with a, a Christian family, a body of believers, the Lord can help you, not just now, but in eternity, but he can help you now too. Like how hard would it have been for me to have said that to her? That would have been the gospel. Um, you know how many times, how many people I've spoken to in this time and culture who work with Christians and who have never heard the gospel? Because we think that saying I go to church, we think saying God loves you, um, we think that doing a nice thing is the gospel. That is not the gospel. And so we need to actually tell people, I shared the gospel with somebody, and they, they said, I've never heard that before. They live here. And, and then I'm thinking to myself, which of my neighbors have I shared the gospel with? I've invited them to church. I've talked to them about various things, and I actually have shared the gospel with some of my neighbors. But how many times are we religiously nice to people, but we don't share the gospel? And so Paul is just saying to this Corinthian church, you have lost sight of why God puts you on earth. And um, it's impacting their use of the gift of tongues. So they're not mature because they don't see that God's put them here to reach the lost. Um, the next thing is that God has put us here to build others up. And mature thinking leads to building other people up, not tearing them down. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn. Okay, so when we sing, that's to draw each other into worship, to worship God. A lesson, that's when we teach people things. A revelation, that's God speaking through somebody about something. Or a tongue, which is an avenue to truth or an interpretation, that's 
two gifts working together to take the tongue and then the interpretation that's the channel of truth to people let all things be done for building up so that's all i'm going to say about that spiritual <laughs> gifts are to build one another up point four we still might not make it today but we'll see Mature thinking results in order rather than chaos of everybody shouting over each other. Look at this. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's nobody to interpret, then let each of them keep silent. Okay, so... Have you ever been to a charismatic church where everybody's speaking in tongues at the same time? Everybody's singing in tongues. Everybody's praying in tongues. Okay, it's like what I would just say to you is there are things that are hard to understand. This is not one of them. And so when, when you go to a church and everybody is singing and praying in tongues all at the same time, that's wrong. And it, it's like people who think that um, speaking in tongues is the sign that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You can read Acts, and you could come to that conclusion. But if you read 1 Corinthians 12, where it says not everybody has the same gift, not everybody speaks in tongues. And Romans, that says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not a Christian. When you put those things together, it is not confusing. That speaking in tongues is not the sign that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That is not a debatable thing. That's not one of the things we struggle to understand. That's just something that we read and accept. And so if you go to a church where everybody's praying in tongues and everybody's speaking in tongues, that is not confusing. That is wrong. Because right here it says two or three and one at a time. So what I would say is, what does it mean when you go to a church where the pastors, the leaders, and everybody in the church are encouraging each other to do exactly what the Bible says not to do. Like, I just know that that's not a place I want to go to church. That's not a place I want my family to go to church. And, and if, you, if people approach that issue by just ignoring what the Bible says, what are the other things that are going on. And, and here's what I would say. We love people who see that differently. I love people, and, and the truth is, there are people who are my brothers and sisters in Christ who go to church where they ignore this. I have family members that I love, that encourage me, that I love being around them. I benefit from being around them. There are, there are things in their life and in their personality and in their faith that bless me, and they do this. So it doesn't mean that we don't love each other. It doesn't mean that, that people who have a difference in these views are our enemies, but they are wrong. And that is not healthy, and that is not helpful, and that is not one of the acceptable things to believe. Nothing that the Bible says is wrong is acceptable to think that it's right. And so we need to understand that these things are important, but um, this, this stuff all needs to be done in order. God intends for the church to be a church of order. Um, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in on what is said. 
If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. You don't talk over each other. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that they all may learn and be encouraged. See? You're encouraged if you learn. And then he says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Have you ever heard that verse before? Um, you want to know who quotes that verse a lot? Jehovah Witnesses. And um, this is what happens when we just take the Bible out of context. You know how people will say, oh no, uh, the gift of tongues is for self-edification. Um, it's cause, and they take those passages from 1 Corinthians 14, they just rip it out of context. They don't read the fact that Paul's saying, don't do that. And so they take a verse that is, don't do this, and they take it, and instead they use it as, a, you should do this. And that's how people end up going wrong. But the Jehovah Witnesses <laughs> rip this verse. God is not a God of confusion, totally out of context. You want to know how they use it? They say, um, the doctrine of the Trinity is confusing. There is no Trinity. There's God the Father, and then there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not a person. The Holy Spirit is the influence of God in the world. Jesus is not God. Explain to me, if Jesus is God, how does he pray to God? I mean, Jesus prays, right? So he's obviously not God because he's praying to God. So Jesus was actually Michael the archangel, the first creation in the world, not God. He was God's designate, and the influence of God came on him at his baptism and then left him just before he went to the cross. So for Jehovah Witnesses, they talk about Jesus, but they don't believe in the same Jesus we believe in. They talk about the Holy Spirit, but they do not believe the Holy Spirit is a person, and they don't believe in the Trinity, and they'll say the Trinity is a confusing doctrine. And so um, God's not a God of confusion, so the Trinity is not true. So that's the Jehovah Witness argument, how they use this verse. And how do they get there? Well, they ignore all the things that the Bible says about how people worship Jesus, about how the Bible says in, all the, in Jesus all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. Uh, Jesus calling himself God when he said in John 8, 58, I am who I am. Before Abraham was, I am. So they ignore all the other places in Scripture where it says that. Or that the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5, where Paul says you lied to the Holy Spirit, and then later he says you didn't lie to men, you lied to God. By the way, you can't lie to somebody's influence. So you're, he lied to a person. And then this whole idea that God is not a God of confusion. Um, so hard things to understand are not from God. Except they forgot to read what Peter wrote. So Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Okay, now listen to this. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So the apostle Peter says about Paul's writing, some of what he writes is hard to understand. So can we be gracious to each other when we run across things and they're hard to understand? 
Even Peter had a hard time understanding things. But is, if something's hard to understand, does that mean it's not true? No. God's not a God of confusion. Does that mean there's nothing hard to understand? No. The context of God is not a God of confusion is that we don't shout over each other. We don't talk over each other. We're not always trying to be more prominent than the person next to us. That's what he's talking about. And then uh, Peter goes on and he says, um, there's some things hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. So they twist it to their own destruction. But you want to know what he did there? He called Paul's writing Scripture as they do the rest of the Scriptures. Paul's writing was Scripture, and they also, the other writings were Scripture. You ever heard people say that the people writing the New Testament never intended that it would be connect, uh, collected or um, used as God's Word? Again, those are people who don't read the Bible. Um, so, now you ready for some other confusion? Other lack of order? Let me read the stuff that's upsetting. We're going to cram this in this morning. Because otherwise, I've got to do a whole sermon on it. All right. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the church. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones it has reached? So the first thing that I want to say is, um, we have a powerful women's ministry in this church. And I am so thankful for all the things that we do. And um, when you look at this, um, that could strike you as uh, degrading or that women don't matter or that kind of thing. And that is not at all what's happening. Paul is just, he's just referring to the fact that in the Bible it is very clear. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 through 15, he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority of, over a man, but to remain silent. God has created order in the home. The husband is supposed to lead his wife in his home. The husband's a leader. It says, women, submit to your husbands. That's Ephesians chapter 5. And in the church, men are to be the leaders and the teachers in church. And so it says, um, I don't allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain silent. And so in the mixed gathering, pastors, preachers are supposed to be men. That is God's intention. And what Paul is saying to the church is all the men are yelling over each other. And also the people, the women who are not supposed to even be teaching publicly in the church in that way, they're yelling over people too. And so he says, stop doing that. This church had rejected what God said about those things. And they were just disregarding it. And that's why he says it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. You know, there's people who, who think that whether or not a woman can be an ordained pastor, like in the EFCA, we don't ordain women to pastoral ministry because we read the Bible. And there are some churches that will just say, they look at that and they say, oh, it's just cultural. Well, the reason that Paul gives in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is because men were created first. So this is something that Paul bases in creation, not culture. 
Find me a culture where a, man's not created, where a man wasn't created first. That's not, that's not the case. And so Paul's just saying in this, um, he's saying that it is disgraceful. And then he says, ask your husband at home if you have issues. I think that is related to the things that were going on in the church. And part of it is Paul saying, as a man, you need to lead your family. And that includes helping your whole family grow and function the way God intends for them to grow. Um, what I would say is this, is that um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, talks about our spiritual standing before the Lord. And this is what God says is in relation to salvation. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So what he says, Peter, talking about wives as a weaker vessel, he says that you need to live with your wives in an understanding way as a weaker vessel. And that if you don't do that, your prayers will be hindered. And you need to, you need to treat your spouse as a fellow heir of the grace of Christ. Spiritually speaking, we're all equal. It's not like men are smarter than women. It's not like men are better teachers than women. It's like none of that is true. It, men are not more gifted. Men are not more needed. And one of the things that I think is a challenge whenever we speak on these things or whenever we talk about these things is it can come across like um, women should stand to the side and let the men do the ministry. And that is not true. Um, we don't need women to do less. We need women to do more. There is no gift that any woman has, no talent, no ability, that should be set on the shelf because of your gender. Um, God intends you to fully function. And one of the things that I think is tragic is that the Bible says to women, teach older women, teach the younger and what happens is people have this bizarre mentality. I think it's actually a very sexist mentality. And that is to say that if, if, if a woman is teaching women, she's doing substandard ministry. Right. She's doing unimportant things. Anybody who teaches teenagers or kids, they are, they're doing the substandard things. You want to do something really important? Teach the men. That's really important because men have value women don't. So as a woman, if you want to have value, if you want to really have a fruitful gift, then you need to teach men. Because unless you're teaching men, you're not doing anything important. And that is actually not at all what God says. Uh, God says he, he gives guidance, He gives direction, and we function as a team, as a church. We all work together. We all learn from each other. We all encourage each other. We all bless each other. We all use our gifts fully. And um, so, anyway, that we, we won't go more into that. I've, I've taught on that before. But I think that's the significance of what is happening here. And um, look at verse uh, 5. I'm sorry, the fifth one in verse 37. Mature thinking honors God's authority. It's interesting that uh, Paul follows up with, with just an identification of God's authority. He says this, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. You know, when we read God's Word, uh, we accept it as the Word of God. 
And uh, there, there are people who struggle with these things. They, they have different views on these things. And I would just say, for all of us, I'm not the authority, actually. Uh, it's not like what I say goes. Um, the authority is God himself. And what God says goes. And if I got it wrong and you studied Scripture, like you're supposed to, like um, the uh, Bereans tested everything that Paul said to see if these things were so. And that's what you're all supposed to do. Because I'm, I'm not the ultimate authority. The elders in this church are not the ultimate authority. God's word is the authority. And any one of us can open up the Bible and we can set it in front of another person. Um, my kids growing up in my house could confront me and say, Dad, the Bible says what you are doing is sin. And I, you know what I never said to them? I never said, I'm your dad. You don't tell me what to do. It's like, no, we all submit to Scripture. And, and all of us place God and His Word as the authority, and we study it, and if we disagree, well, then we love each other, right? That's what, what the Bible says. Um, and then, so he wraps it all up this way, 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. So you should want to build people up. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. You know, Paul told the Corinthians to throw this guy out of the church because of his sin, and then when the guy repented, they wouldn't let him back in the church. And Paul had to write them and said, the guy repented, let him back in. Yeah. And so he has to tell them, he's telling them to quit abusing tongues, but he has to follow it up with, and don't forbid speaking in tongues. This is a gift that God's given. So he tells them, desire to prophesy. Don't, forgive, don't, don't uh, forbid speaking in tongues and let everything be done decently and in order. And that's what God wants us to do. Let me pray. Lord, I just thank you for your kindness and your goodness, and Lord, that you love us. And as we go over these things, and they're challenging, some of these concepts are new. Lord, we come from a culture that has trained us uh, to think incorrectly about life. And God, I pray that you would help us to go to your word, to search it, to submit to it, Lord, that we would embrace you, that we would embrace your authority, that we would embrace our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when we disagree. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to be in submission to you and your word in your name. Amen.